Hello and welcome to the Faces of Food podcast. I'm Dr. Sandro, CEO of EAT, and we're recording live from the EAT Stockholm Food Forum 2019. And I'm sitting here with the amazing chef Selassie Atadika. Selassie, welcome. Thank we're you. extremely excited to have you join us. It's can great you, to be here. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and and how you came to be here? Okay. Um, the short version of the story is I'm a late career chef. I started working in uh, humanitarian development for many years and oh. saw food as a central issue in everyone's lives before, after, during conflict in terms of resilience and everything. And around that time, I also got to see how little people understood about a lot of the cuisine on the continent of Africa. So I put all that together, went to culinary school and um, started working on food, but from the perspective of how can we have sustainable food systems? How do we value what's local, what's traditional and learn more about what that can bring to the table. Well, and a so lot of it is plant-based. Very much a <laughs> member of the Eat family. Yeah. It's no wonder you've ended up here. You you sound like a, a kindred spirit from yeah. uh, just from another continent. No, it's been fantastic being here in an environment with so many amazing thinkers around the food system yeah. um, who are looking to change it and shift it. Um, it's not everywhere you see so many like-minded individuals. Yeah, it is. It, it's an amazing forum. It's grown this year to more than a thousand people, but it's really about, you know, it's, it's easy to get kind of lost in the crowd in a way with so many faces, so many names. And so I, I just want to delve into your life for a moment, take the listeners behind the scenes and understand a bit more about what a daily a daily routine of, uh, as you say, a, a late career chef that's changing the world through what you do looks like. So what does a day look like in your life? What are you eating at your table when you're not here in Stockholm? Um, when I'm home, I eat a lot of traditional dishes that my mother used to make for me. Um, a lot of beans, um, whether we have something called bambara beans, I think they're now on mm. the, the future food list. Black-eyed peas that have been stewed in tomato and, and with a little bit of um, red oil, palm oil on it. Yeah, I love plantains. That's my thing. But it's also fantastic because it's a um, no-till starch kind of in the diet in uh, Ghana. And that's like a, a savory banana, isn't it? Exactly. It's yeah. larger than a banana. And okay. um, the there's so many varieties, some that stay green. Yum. They're great in curries and things like that. And others that are super sweet. So you can actually play around with them. Uh, someone's actually tasked me with trying to figure out how to get them into a chocolate truffle. So we'll see. Wow. Chocolate truffle <laughs> based on plantain. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm putting up my hand to be the taste <laughs> tester if you need one. And, and let's start at the start of the day. What do you do in the morning? Mm-hmm. What, what are your morning rituals? Um, I kind of just go in and, and check in with my team and um, we kind of go through what needs to be done. My favorite days are, I call them R&D days. Mm. Sometimes I'll be driving down the street or something will be in season that will inspire me. And I kind of go back to the team. Uh, one of my favorite ones is um, an obsession I have with millet, which I'll be talking about um, okay. later. But um, with the millet, I just said, okay, this is a grain. Uh, it's drought tolerant. It's a traditional one. We need to eat more of this and less of rice in Ghana. Mm. And so I said to everyone, how do you prepare your millet? So we went around the team and everyone told me how they prepared it or how their mother or grandmother prepared it. And then um, from there, we just, um, what would you normally eat it with? And then we just start 
developing menus or recipes around the combinations and the flavors that come to mind. So it's a great way for me to learn about my team mm. and for them to sort of see the craziness in my mind. But it ends up being a lovely collaboration where we just kind of play around with things. And um, the fun part is getting to see sort of the light bulb in their heads when they kind of realize this is an ingredient we can use in so many ways. Yeah. But also seeing the different flavors coming together in a dish when we prepare different components and then bringing them all together. Awesome. And bouncing off each other's ideas. Exactly. Yeah. I was. I have to say, I was doing a bit of research and reading up about you before. Amazing career. Congratulations. Thank and you. the work you do is truly inspiring. And I noticed one of the really strong themes was family mm-hmm. and the kind of intergenerational, you know, passing on of recipes. And, and that's already come up now twice while we've been talking about you and, and what inspires you through your mum, but also talking about what the, the recipes and where they come from in your team around you. Yeah. You know, is this what gets you up in the morning? What what keeps you going? Is it inspiration from the family? Is it... Um, I mean, the family connection for me has always been my family left Ghana when I was about six years old. And so culture for us, a lot of it was maintained through food. So yeah. that food culture um, is really deep for me. Um, what gets me up in the morning actually is how do we feed Ghana and other African countries in the 20, 30, 40, 50 years to come. Since moving back, I've just realized that the food I ate when I was there as a child is not what you see all the Mm. time anymore. And that really disturbed me. And so for me, it's been like, why has that change happened so quickly? And what can we do to be able to be producers, not net importers. So um, you see trends where Ghana, $1.1 billion was uh, spent on the importation of rice from Asia. Mm. And the question I always ask myself is, what would that have looked like if last year we spent that $1.1 billion in improving local rice systems and bringing other drought-tolerant uh, crops to the table? Because mm. that would have been an investment rather than a, an expense. And all of these traditional forgotten grains, all these grains that you mentioned before that your yeah. grand, that your mother has been cooking for, you know, yeah. and cooking your family for generations. That seems to be a really important part of also your, your cooking philosophy. I think that, well, I, I, you, the Eat Lancet studies show that we are really into starch <laughs> in, in Africa. And yeah. so when you look at the, the plates, a majority of that plate is actually starch and some kind of carbohydrate. So if we were to focus on the grains that would make a shift in the plate much faster than any other item that we're looking at right now. And is this what you're working on at the moment? So what are you getting excited about at work? What is it a focus on grains? Is it uh, taking the your, your, your traditional cultural foods to the world? Is it about preserving traditional cultures? Is it about reversing the the sort of trends of westernization. I mean, what, what's, yeah. what's getting you excited? It's a little bit of everything. I, I think at the core of it is sort of, um, if I can say a lot of, uh, what drives me is also showing people what they have no idea even exists, mm. both internationally and, and locally. I've had conversations and since I grew up outside of Ghana, majority of my, my, um, childhood was outside of Ghana. A lot of people will say kind of, I'm the foreigner in a way. Um, and it's been wonderful coming back and How saying, does that feel being a local well, but a foreigner? I would say that, um, it has its pluses and minuses. Yeah. Um, but I love for me, the plus is that I'm able to look at our food with fresh eyes and be able to yeah, create. 
create. But otherwise, you're stuck in a, this is how we make it. And so I've mm-hmm. had conversations with my team where they say, Madame, that's not how we make it here. And I'm like, I actually, I know that. And that's why I'm changing it. <laughs> but on the negative side is always, you know, I, I think it drives me a little bit more to to dig deeper. And it allows me actually to ask questions without feeling like stupid. Because I'm like, well, you know, I didn't grow up here. So tell me, how does it work? And then people will tell you about their food uh, in a way that they would tell somebody. Whereas I think if I lived there, I would feel a little self-conscious about yeah. having asked those questions. So it, for me, it, it gives me an open tabula rasa in a way, mm. uh, in terms of looking at food. I mean, I'll have conversations. I'll call my mother because she lives in New York and I'll say, I want to prepare this dish that you used to make for me as a child. How do you make it? I, I just remind me again the process and she'll tell me how she does it. She says, but don't make it thick. And I'm like, I'm actually going to make it thick. Uh, I mean, that's oh. a, it's a one particular dish. Your mom it's, um, is just rolling her eyes thinking, why did I even bother? Yeah. No, but I mean, I explained it to her. This particular dish, it's um, using uh, garden eggs, which are okay. um, nightshade. Um, we use the leaves in another. Um, it's usually wild. It's a wild food, um, the leaves from that one. But I use the garden eggs, um, which are like a white, small eggplant, um, using okra. And um, it's cooked together with a little bit of tomato. And I actually, usually it's like a soup or a sauce kind of consistency. And I make it a little bit thick and I actually put it into um, a zucchini parsley. Like I take zucchini and wrap it in there and I actually bake it. So it becomes a, a dish that we do for sort of like our finer dining side of things. But taking something that people would almost overlook yeah. and a dish that normally is eaten with a lot of um, carbohydrates and turns it into something that you can have as sort of a multi-course meal. Mm. So and I, I love the fact that sort of, as you say, that perspective you have, there's a strong tradition, strong value of tradition and, and the traditional traditions of your family and the traditions of your country and cuisine, but then the perspective that it affords you to have been outside the country and come back and kind of rethink it in some ways and, and bring the best of both worlds. It allows me to be a, a little bit more playful, I think, yeah. Yeah. What, what about, so you're already doing incredible work. What, what's, what's the dream? Where do you the want dream. to be in a few years' time? Where, if we come, you come yeah. back to Eat Forum in three years on the podcast, what's the dream project you're the, going to be running? The dream project is actually something that I'm, I'm literally starting to work on um, just at the beginning of, but it's really about documentation and it's about innovation and it's about behavior change. So the dream is really working with young people to collect information um, about the things we used to eat, recipes we used to make that are actually in more of the rural areas. And I think in many ways, uh, the future is behind us or the, that we need to take it from behind and move it forward. So The future I, is behind us. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's so true though, because I mean, the way that we're, that the Eat Lancet tells us to eat is very much the way exactly. my grandmother ate yeah. and probably yours is, yours did as well. So it's about the rural the areas. It's, you know, if you think about the communities at rural areas, yeah areas what you what you took you had to use yeah. the resources were were limited and you did the best and the most you could with them so and you used and, every every last exactly piece, so yeah. when you think about circular you know economy circularity that, yeah. yeah that's I it i feel like my nonna kind of invented <laughs> circularity yeah so so you know you're leaving work now you've had a great day at work we're you're doing amazing stuff what so you're leaving work after an incredible day another incredible day who are you having dinner with and what are you serving uh, most likely it would be with my immediate family they're a very interesting collection of characters. My brother would definitely be at the table because he's a super taster. He's one of these people that... A super taster? I don't know if you know about super tasters. Does he people- get a cape? <laughs> I wish he did have a kid. No, I mean, he, uh, and I think he actually made me a better, better chef. Um, oh. when I was, um, when I was younger, my mother, um, had to go back to Ghana at, 
a certain point we were living in New York and she left me to take care of, you know, it was American Thanksgiving. Uh, and so she said, you know, this is the rest the menu and you're going to work with it. I was in high school at the time. My brother's three years younger than me. I made one of my mother's um, sauces, like a tomato based sauce. And my brother literally took one little taste and he was like, it's not like mom's. I don't like it. And he stopped. He didn't eat it. And he, I literally, it took me a couple of like years to get over it. And I actually stopped cooking Ghanaian food for a while. Siblings, uh, <laughs> siblings, am I right? Yeah. So, so he's a super taster. Okay. Um, and so he's a great person for me in terms of like, if it passes him, like I'm okay. good. My dad, because he's a traditionalist. And so awesome. whenever I make traditional or Ghanaian dishes, and I put it on the table. If he asks for a second round, I know I'm good. You know you're doing well. Yeah. And then my sister, she's um, she's a very healthy eater, so she's very very uh, conscious about everything. Everything's got to be super organic, and she needs to know that the if it's poultry, it's got to be grass fed. And so she goes through you know that full checklist of a really um, good clean fare. And so if it pleases her as well, then I. All three, uh, then I'm doing really well. My mom is the last one. So she's sort of the, it's an interesting relationship now because sometimes she's like, well, since you're the chef, I don't know if it's good enough for you. Um, and so I play this game with her and I'm like, well, you're my muse. So, you know, it's, it's gotta be great, whatever you make. So I think that's kind of who I would have. Um, what would I make? I think, um, all the Ghanaian dishes that I have had a chance to sort of rework and remake. Um, I recently did a dish and I, was doing it for an event in New York and I saved some for my parents and it was amazing to see my parents understood every single component on the dish or every single ingredient, but they could not imagine what I did with it um, at mm. the end. So it, it was um, nice to see people who are so familiar with it, but then see it in a new way in our family setting because it, food has been so central to us. And we have to ask how many grams of meat would be on your on your plate? I would... Personally, I, I stick with 60 grams. Okay. I love showing people how delicious food can be without having, mm. you know, animal protein on the plate um, and putting in a lot of other elements. Um, so, yeah, 60 grams is kind of like where I, I work from. Yeah. So, the, as you probably know, the Eat Lancet Commission was launched in, was published in January this year, 2019. Yeah. And it calls for, you know, dramatic increases in whole grains, nuts, seeds, fresh fruits and vegetables, healthy oils, and reductions in sugar, processed foods, and particularly red meat. But yeah. for, in fact, for the part of the world you come from, for many of those countries, uh, it's actually still increased in red meat. But yeah. um, globally, reductions, uh, or at least a rethink in the way we eat meat. Yeah. So how would your diet have to change to align with the Eat Lancet? I mean, the way you talk, it's it's it feels like you're already there. I, I'm mostly there. I would say that in terms of um, the work that needs to be done, it's probably a little bit more with my my clients and sort of the Ghanaian public. Based on sort of the the ratios, we're way over on the the carbohydrates, like the the starchy carbs. Um, so like a lot of um, rice, a lot of yam, a lot of. Uh, corn. So I think, you know, all that needs to come down and the vegetable component needs to go up. I mean, I actually did a TV program, a local TV program a few years ago, trying to encourage people to eat more locally grown vegetables. And it's really interesting. The Traditionally, we have a lot of greens, but there's like one that wins out and everyone uses it to death. But um, I remember I tasked my team and I said, I don't want to see, it's the leaves of a cocoa yam. Mm, and so okay. I said, I don't want to see these leaves again. 
And also the other challenge with that leaf is oh, that um, <laughs> uh, the problem with that leaf also is that it's um, it needs to be cooked twice. It's it's kind of oh, like okay. you have to boil it. So like I kind of feel that sometimes traditionally we overcook it and we don't leave enough nutrition in it. Mm. So I um, I tasked them to go and, and I said, everyone come back tomorrow with a different green. I don't care what it is, but everyone bring something. And by the time they came in, there was this beautiful bouquet of greens that we had from um, amaranth leaves to... Um, a wild hibiscus mm. has a beautiful leaf, and the leaf, um, we normally cook it, but it has this beautiful lemon flavor. There's, um, you know, just so many greens that we yeah. have, including the bitter leaf, which is extremely high in iron. And so it's it's really, for me, how do we get more of those things back into the local diet? And amaranth is extremely nutritious, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And uh, oddly enough, in Ghana, we don't eat the grain. We only eat the, the leaves. Yeah. <laughs> so let's wrap things up. The the whole ethos of the forum is the science is clear, it's time to act. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you some questions about science and action. Sure. So what does food mean to you? And I, I really want you to also unpack the concept of authenticity because that's something that came out in the mm. videos I watched and the articles I read about you. You think a lot about food authenticity, and we're hearing a lot about this at the moment. Gen Z in particular mm -hmm. are all about authenticity. What does this mean? What does this mean to you? For me, food is... Food is everything. Food is life. It's um, I in terms of the food that I do, I try to think about it as a combination of community, culture, cuisine, and it's intersecting with environment, sustainability, and economy. So, food can create economies. It can de decimate economies, um, and so that's how I sort of it's it's a very holistic approach to to food, authenticity. I mean, I, in many ways, some of what I do is may not be considered authentic. For me, what it is, is using what is local and what is culture and what is tradition, but doing enough to it to keep it relevant for today. So if we actually were to keep certain things 100% authentic, it may not move into the future. Mm. Uh, for example, a lot of our, our dishes, um, because we're moving into apartments and because you're living in smaller quarters, you don't have enough time people are switching to rice because it's more convenient. So the question I would say is what agro-processing needs to happen for some of the traditional starches or tubers or ingredients to be prepared faster and quicker so that people will continue to eat it today. For me, it's really also about understanding what grows where you are. So the soil we have, the climate we have are all going to, and that's my geography background, but um, wherever we are, Whatever can grow there was the beginning of our culture and our food system and it needs to be respected in a way. Otherwise, it's going to become something that, for example, if you're going to, and this is currently happening in Ghana, if you bring in uh, imported rice, for example, jasmine varieties of rice and grow it in Ghana, it's going to use a lot more water. With climate change, not the best solution. Mm. So really, when you go back to what grows in the northern part of Ghana, that's what we should be favor like favoriser. My, my, um, it, that those are what grows in the northern regions are things that will do better with climate change, and those are the things that we should actually, as for me as a chef, um, and maybe for policymakers, how do we get more people to be excited to eat those foods? How do we take that sort of stigma of poor people or like the lean years um, that were attached to those ingredients away? Mm. And but for me, it's also how do I keep those grains? where they grow. So my challenge, for example, now is Fonio is like the hottest thing in in the world right now, right? A lot of people are excited about it. Um, and it grows in the northern parts of Ghana. 
However, for me to find Fonio in Accra is extremely difficult. Mm. It's easier for me to get Fonio in New York than it is for me to get it in Ghana. How do we not, um, how do we make sure that the communities that are around those ingredients benefit as much as possible and are able to get some of the messaging that we have here that they're not now trying to shift to the Western diet, but also start to understand that they actually have the secrets in front of them. Well, I love that. And it brings up actually many of the many of the discussions we're having here at the forum this week that mm-hmm. you know we have we have a lot of the science, but a really important piece that's missing is the social dimension. It's making sure that, as you say, communities that are producing our food across the planet are benefiting, that farmers yeah. can afford a livable wage and can afford a life, you know, can be living a comfortable life yeah. themselves. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, in terms of uh, what's missing or what other additional information would be nice to have, I have sort of two things that I would love to see. Mm. The first is um, exactly in terms of what you mentioned about behavior change. Behavior change is quite difficult and um, we need to look and see what makes people start shifting behavior and what are faster ways for us to get people to to change their behavior. And the second thing for me is how do we take sort of um, the information from the old mothers in the village yeah. who said, take this when you have a stomach ache and put it into a scientific framework to understand Actually, this is the medicinal property that some mm. of these things have so that we can use it. Because in many countries and in many locations, you may not have money to buy the medicine, the drugs, but you have access to those ingredients. And that's actually a great way of healing sort of the food system um, and getting people who are near those ingredients to understand the value that they actually have in front of them. I love that. The power of food as medicine, both global and local. Well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Celesi, thank you so much. It's been hugely inspiring to have you. Enjoy the rest of the forum. Thank you. And uh, good luck with your work. Thanks a lot. <laughs>